Before we get going with today's podcast, I just want to jump on here for a second and personally invite you to a one-off brand new masterclass that I am hosting on Thursday the 16th of May. How to scale your online business to six figures and beyond. So if you are a course creator, a membership owner or a coach, then this is for you. I'm sharing with you my most effective strategies to become the go-to person in your industry and grow your online business. I will cover how to build your audience, how to craft an irresistible offer and how to master your launch strategy so that you will know the most effective way to grow your audience and build your email list fast, know how to craft an offer that your audience will love and create a launch that fits with you and enables you to sell with ease. And why should you come and listen to me? Well, I started doing this almost 10 years ago and the very first client I worked with back in 2016, I helped him launch his very first membership. He had a done for you product and a one-to-one product and we created a membership. In his first launch, he got 130 members, bringing him in about 60,000 in income every year. Now, He has built a suite of online products that is bringing him in way over six figures every single year. This is going to be an awesome masterclass. You're going to get so much good stuff to take away with you to be able to use in your business. So to grab your free place, go to TeresaHeathWearing.com forward slash masterclass and I will see you there. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast episode 162. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast and I'm your host, Teresa Heathwaring. If you're a marketer, business owner or entrepreneur that is frustrated and overwhelmed with all the constant changes in digital marketing and social media, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each week, I share with you easy, insightful and actionable steps that you can use to grow your business. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. How are you doing? So I don't mind telling you that I am a little bit nervous today, which is not odd, but it's it's kind of like interesting because I can't think of the last time I was nervous doing a podcast. And it's going to come all clear as to why that is the case today. But but I want to kind of just tip back a bit to the episode 160, Roger's episode, and talk about the fact of what an amazing episode that was for starters and how much I loved it. And I sat there listening to it thinking, this is amazing, Roger, and you're so right. People should talk about this more. And yet I was sat there in my own head going, Teresa, you should talk about this more. So this is what today's episode is all about. It's about, I guess, my own journey and my own thoughts around the mental health subject. But I'm too scared to do it on my own. There's no way I could sit here and talk on my own about this subject because quite honestly, I'd have chickened out. So I have brought along with me a very dear friend who is perfect for this and you will see why. So welcome to the podcast, the lovely Jane Travis. How are you doing, Jane? I'm doing really well and it's really great to be here. Hi to all of your listeners. Really looking forward to this. Thanks for inviting me along. My pleasure. Now, There's some good reasons why Jane's here. One, it was her encouragement that said, I really need to do this episode. But but Jane is is special for for two reasons. 
as to how we found each other first and what how we work together and why we work together, but then your background. So Jane, will you take a second just to introduce yourself and tell the lovely listeners who you are and what you do? I will, absolutely. But little story about how I know you. I actually met Teresa a couple of years ago at the Atomic Conference, first yes. Atomic Conference, and I met you there and it wasn't, and you stayed on my radar. I had a quick chat with you, stayed on my radar and it was a year later when I actually decided to work with you. So anybody that's that's listening to this, just remember the seeds that you sow. Maybe people may, may reap them a long time later. So that's yeah, the first it thing. Time. It takes time. But yeah, um, I'm Jane Travis. Yeah, I used to be a counsellor. I was a counsellor for 14 years in private practice. What I do now is I help other counsellors with their marketing. So I've kind of gone on a little side just moved slightly over. So mm. although I still work with counsellors, I love counselling. I love what counselling stands for, but I don't actually do counselling anymore. But after 14 years being a counsellor, you kind of can't take the counselling away from you really. So no. I always look at things a little bit more deeply maybe. And I love everything to do with what makes us tick, what can help us, what our fears are. And yeah, I just find it all still really, really interesting. So we've been working together for a while. Jane came to me on the 90 day program and we did some work with her membership and doing various things from that point of view. And Jane was with me during the time that I lost my mum. And I think that was probably where it started to become more of a kind of friendship than, than necessarily just a, okay, Jane, what have you done this week? What are you going to do? Because I think you could see that during that time, it was, it was tough. It was, you know, it was hard and and therefore we had lots of different conversations about us and whatever and then we just got good friends and it's great and and I love it and I'm so very grateful to have you in my life Jane so thank you and you um, too so, so <laughs> oh god Jane I'm so scared I can't <laughs> okay I just want to let people know I can see Teresa because we're doing this over zoom and when I when I saw her earlier I could see how scared she was because she looked a little bit like a five-year-old girl (laughs) so she's genuinely scared so Teresa come on tell us tell us what this is all about so as I said I interviewed the lovely Roger and Roger's mission in life now because of what happened to him is that we are open and honest about mental health and we make sure it's not embarrassing we make sure it's not hidden we make sure it's not a shameful thing and that people are open and honest about their own struggles and and what they've gone through and I sat there going yes brilliant Roger yes well done Roger and I sat there thinking but you don't tell anybody Teresa and you've not said anything and I have hidden I may have alluded to it very briefly um, and I know if you're in my membership then you might have heard me say very light things or alluding to it very lightly but I have dealt with anxiety for and I was thinking about it for this podcast for about 14 years so mine was a very um, and I don't know if this is normal Jane but mine was a very specific moment that kicked it off so I had had some miscarriages I was uh Uh, with my ex-husband I got pregnant and I had a miscarriage and when I went to counselling because the doctor recommended I had some counselling and I saw this lovely lady and I joke to this day that I I kind of like finished her off because she retired after working with me (laughs) 
I want to say she was at retirement age. It wasn't just me. Um, but she was amazing. And she, I remember going in on that first day going, when are you going to fix me? Like, literally, when are you going to fix me? And she said to me at the time that my anxiety wasn't bred from the fact that I'd lost a baby. My anxiety was bred from the fact of I was a perfectionist and I planned things and organized things and liked to be in control of things. And then something happened that was very much out of my control. And in my head, this child was five and going to school and I was doing all these things. And then suddenly the decision was made and there we go, there was no child. And that that's what kind of, I guess, tipped me over the edge. But then it continued and various episodes between then and now and various ways of being very poorly and being okay and managing it and not managing it and but it's something that I and this might sound so surprising but not even some of my family know well lots of my family don't know in fact in fact I I struggle to know who in my family would know my friends not many of them would know uh, they might have known at one point that I had, you know, I wasn't feeling great, but it certainly isn't. A, if you were to ask any of my friends right now, do you think Teresa has anxiety? They'd be like, no, are you mm. kidding me? Like, look at this person. She is like so out there. So, But, th- but that's the thing, Teresa. This is the big thing. <laughs> when people have anxiety, very often it's so hidden. Any Anything like that, we we mm. hide it. We try to put our best foot forward. I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with depression. So many people would never have known because I used Mm. to be, I'm not so much now. I used to kind of be like the life and soul of the party. I was the first one to make a joke. And I know that you're very similar to me. Um, The life and soul of the party. I don't want to make people feel down if they're around me. I don't want people to be worried about me or to be a burden. And also it's very personal and I don't want to be, yeah, I don't want to feel vulnerable. Sometimes I want mm. to just keep it to myself. So I've always hidden mine. I've always hidden my depression. I've always hidden my anxiety. And people, when they see me doing all the things that I do, you know, going out there and and yeah. do, doing all the things that I do, people often, I'm sure people must think, oh, she's got it all together. And I really don't. I absolutely don't. But that's what we do. And that's the problem, because if everybody keeps it to themselves, it leaves us feeling a little bit more isolated because it's like nobody's going to understand what I feel because look at them. They've got it all together. Yeah, because they're doing the same things as we're yeah, doing. So it just perpetuates itself, doesn't it? So everybody's like faking it when underneath they're all like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And especially this year, I mean, there are people that struggle with anxiety all the time, mm-hmm. like generally, generally, but with with lockdown and everything that we've been through this year with so many big changes so many things that are out, outside of our control never so people who have not struggled with anxiety generally are feeling anxious now so it mm. is like it's like another the, the pandemic pandemic at the side of the pandemic is yeah people are struggling with anxiety like they've never done before yeah so i think i think it's important to remember that whilst we're thinking, oh, I can't sort of let the side down, everybody seems to be doing that. Mm. And that's the problem. The problem isn't that we're anxious. The problem is that we're feeling, I don't know, embarrassed about it, ashamed oh. of it, scared, all guilty, all, all of change. those things. Yeah. And and I wrote down a few words before we got started in terms of like, why haven't I ever said? Why, why wouldn't I even admit it to my own family? Like, 
you know, why wouldn't I even share it with my closest friends? And I think there's lots of things that some of the ones that you've just said, one complete embarrassment, like Mm. I should have it, you know, so under control, like this is embarrassing that I feel like this sometimes. The shame of it, the, and, and do you know what else came up? And I don't know how to say this without it sounding awful, but I've seen in the past, you know, that some people can jump on a bandwagon and this is going to sound awful, but I'm trying to say this with all gentleness and not judginess of mental health is so hard to see that I've seen that people are just, yeah, no, I'm depressed. Yeah, no, I'm anxious. Mm. Or sometimes I find it difficult when I see other people sharing, it makes me feel awkward. And I know that's my fault, not theirs, but I think all of this culminated in the fact of I don't want to be seen like that. I don't want to be seen as, oh, here's another person going, yeah, I'm anxious too. You know, I I wanted to kind of go, I'm not like that. So I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to mm. show that. But for me, it's definitely a, I'm embarrassed. Like, without doubt, without doubt, I am embarrassed that there is this thing that I can't, all the time control Mm. and and it makes me worry about what people think of me it makes me worry about what people think of my ability to do my job and I have to say Jane and this is not by go and check me out I'm amazing but literally probably in the last I don't know definitely in the last seven seven eight years I've not had a single day off because of it like and I'm not saying that to go check me out I'm saying that because I have managed to work a way that I can continue Mm. to work and turn it on and off almost as I need it. Mm. Um, But there were times in my life, and I remember my my counsellor at the time, you know, I said to her that I just want to sit and just stare at the walls. And she's like, that's fine. And I'm like, but I can't. I've got so much to do. I've got to get out. I've got to go to work. I've got to do all these things. And she's like, this is just one period of your life. So there were times where I had six months off where... I literally sat and stared at the walls for like six months. But mm. so it's not that I'm sat here saying, you know, I'm brilliant because I don't have any time off. But but I think I I one of the reasons I don't like taking time off or I don't like showing is because of that embarrassment, because I don't want people to think she can't cope, mm-hmm. she can't manage. And, you know, and that will put doubt in people's mind that I'm any good at what I do. And I don't know whether that comes from a corporate thing where it definitely wasn't talked about and you definitely don't show it. Or whether it just comes from a complete embarrassment thing. I don't know. There's, the word perfectionism keeps coming up in my mind. When you were talking, yeah. I was just thinking you're putting yourself... It sounds to me... I mean, do you think that you may be putting yourself under a lot of pressure to be a, a version of you, maybe, that is, that is, you know, always goes to work, always does the thing. You always look fantastic. Everything <laughs> you do is fantastic, but maybe... I wonder if there's a, an, an element of pressure that you're putting yourself under. I'd Yeah, I'd say if I'm being honest with yeah. that, like, because I don't want people to see that side. I don't want, because I've, and this is my own fault in the sense of I've judged people in the past where they've gone, I can't, I can't do this because I'm, I'm depressed or I can't do this because I'm anxious. And, and I promise I am not maybe back then I was coming from a point of judgment. I'm not now um, because everyone deals with things differently and they behave differently. And and that is absolutely fine. But I think I looked at them and went, Oh, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to, you know, that's not me. And, and therefore I then found strategies. And this is really interesting. My, my husband uh, is amazed 
to this day, how I might be feeling very anxious or I might be feeling, um, especially with everything with mum, you know, very teary and upset and down. Now, I've never been depressed and and. I guess there's always elements that span into all of it. Mine's always been anxiety, but but there are times where it's like, do you know what? I don't want to do this today. And he finds it amazing how I can have a face like a slap backside <laughs> and not want to talk to anybody. And I step in here and the camera goes on and I go, hi. He just, <laughs> that blows him away, but in a bad, like almost a, how annoying is that? Like that you're horrible to us because you're so anxious and yet you come on screen and you're like, perfect. But not, I don't know if I've trained myself or what, what, how that is, but I can, I can do that. So I, I, I am very grateful that I can mm. do that because otherwise I don't think I'd have a business. Well, I think it can be a double-edged sword because that sounds like a real skill. Ultimately, mm. when you run a business, you do have to show up. You don't have the, for want of a better word, you don't have the luxury of going under because you've got a business no. to run. No. It's not like you can say, right, I'm going to bed for a week because you, you have a business to run. So I think it's a real skill that we do have to find a way to keep going. But we have the double-edged part is that you do also have to be able to say, right, I need to be extra careful with myself. I need to take extra time off. I need to be really clear with my boundaries and I need to give myself permission to stop if I feel I need to. So it, it's that... It's that recognition that, right, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm not feeling good. So therefore, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the things I need to do. But if it gets hard, I'll stop. If it gets hard, I'll have a rest and give myself permission to do it and not feel guilty about it because it's the guilt, isn't it, that's that's a bit of a killer. Yeah. But a couple of things from what you said. One of them is that feeling that, that almost the fact that some of these kind of mental health words are now used in general general conversation. So people, if they like things tidy, they might say, oh, I'm really OCD. Or mm. if sometimes they have mood swings, they'll talk about, oh, I'm bipolar. Or somebody's sad and they'll say, I'm really depressed. So sometimes that kind of, um, that can have an impact because if we see someone who's a little bit sad and you're feeling really depressed, you don't want to, people to think that you're saying it if you're just a little bit sad. Do you know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. I think these words have sort of come into common language, uh, to be honest. But also, we can. I'm just thinking about, um, I think for me, I work with, I'm a counsellor, I work with counsellors, and I think for us, it's kind of doubly hard because we mm. are people that help other people with depression, with anxiety, with... Um, all sorts of different things and so when we struggle from it we go through this like times a hundred because it's like yeah I'm I'm helping other people and we can we can help other people of course we can but if I'm struggling with it myself what does that say about me as a counsellor does that mean I'm not good enough and then we yeah. can go down that sort of little trail of that dis self-destructive trail so I, I yeah, think the truth massive. is we all get some sort of depression don't we? Not depression, sorry, some sort of anxiety. I think it's very, very common. And I think it affects us in different ways, doesn't it? I mean, mm. I think when I get anxious, what I tend to do is hide. You mm. know, if, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, if anything happens to me, I go into my cave and hide. I mean, what happens to you when you get a bit anxious? So I I love that one because I, I, I can do that. I can hide when I can. So I would say before I met Paul, I would do this more. Now, Paul is a very, um, we joke that like, 
that you have the met, you have the chimp brain and the human brain, and I am ninety nine percent chimp and he's ninety nine percent human. So, and I guess that's a military thing, which obviously would have came out from Roger's interview that you know you don't have emotions in the military. So he is he is a very straight, action orientated person. So I don't hide anymore because he almost doesn't let me. And he knows, although this isn't always healthy, he knows that my happy place is work. So he will always encourage me back to work. So when my mum died, I, that wasn't necessarily, I don't know if it was anxiety. I don't know what it was. Obviously your mum died, it's huge, but, but he very quickly rushed me back to work, probably too quick, but he was coming from love. He wasn't coming from, oh, you lazy cow, stop moaning, get back to work. He was he knew that work's my happy place. So he just wanted me to be happy. And that was his kind of encouragement. But my anxiety, unfortunately, comes out in rage. Like the stories I can tell you, like my ex-husband and I, we used to, I used to have a job where, um, this was after when this first happened, when, you know, 14 years ago when I first had my miscarriage and, and I first got ill, but we used to have to leave super early in the morning because I used to work for Land Rover and I used to have to drive like two hours to get there every day. And me being a bit of a perfectionist and very organised, I would be at the car with all my stuff ready to roll at 6am when we were leaving or whatever it was. My ex-husband, who was very different from me, would still be faffing around in the house trying to find stuff. I would shout, this is so embarrassing, I would shout at the top of my voice on my drive. My neighbours could hear me and basically F and Jeff like you've never heard. Like, you are a idiot. Will you hurry up? Like, horrendous. And I remember... Do you look like butter wouldn't melt in your mouth, (laughs) Therese? (laughs) I was awful. And I remember having conversations with my uh, doctor at the time. So I'd been some counselling and then I came, I'd finished and then... I struggled again and I went back and had a conversation with the doctor and I was like, I don't think I'm reacting to things properly. And this is the other thing, actually, I just want to say, you don't know at the time. Like at the time, I didn't know that that reaction was not a normal reaction. So he'd be like, so give me some examples. And I said, one thing happened where (laughs) my my ex-husband was terrible with money and I'd gone to the shop and the card wouldn't work. And I got really cross with him. And he's like, I think that's a normal reaction. I think you're fine. And I said, and then I, I said, and then I asked him to put the mints in the freezer and he didn't. So I cried all the way to work. <laughs> and he went, okay, yeah, maybe not so much. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but at the time I didn't get it. And you know what? There are times I look back in my career where I've reacted to something that now I think, oh God, that was anxiety. Like, and and I think at the beginning of having it, I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't, I thought my reactions were 100% correct for the thing that was happening. And, and that was, I guess, one of my biggest problems and one of my biggest uh, ways now that I cope or the ways that now I live with it without it being too much of an issue is because I am so in tuned with it now that I can start to see where I'm like, oh, hang on, that is not a normal reaction or not a normal, an appropriate reaction. And also it doesn't always stop it. And Paul will tell you this, that there are times where I've reacted in ways that have not been great. Like they're not nice reactions because like I said, it tends to come out in anger 
But the second it's happened, I've gone, hang on, that was not right. I should not have done that. I'm so sorry. So if it does creep out, which Mm. it only does occasionally now, within minutes of it coming out my mouth or minutes of me behaving, when I calm down, which I have different strategies of bringing myself back to myself very quickly, I then very quickly go back to him and go, Mm. I am so very sorry. That was not acceptable. I should not have behaved I should not have said those things that, and I don't blame it on the anxiety because it's me saying it, but I do say there was, there's reason why I did that. I shouldn't have done it. And I am so very sorry. You see, for me, with my counselling hat on, sorry to do this to you, with my counselling hat on, well, there's two things. One, I've got a little story about uh, somebody I know and they would, they would talk about how, their husband, when they made a cup of tea, they'd um, leave the teaspoon on the work surface in the kitchen uh, and the dishwasher was just underneath. And Jesus. this happened exactly, yeah. <laughs> and this happened and they never said anything for you know, God knows how long. And one day she exploded. Why the hell can't you put the teaspoon in the dishwasher? It's just... And she was talking to him and it was like, what? what is wrong with me you know it was this big talk about whether or not you should put the dishwasher in a teaspoon in the dishwasher it's like and I said to her look it's never about the teaspoon it's never about the teaspoon it's about all sorts of other things so sometimes when we get angry and we think why are they so angry about mints you know it's never (laughs) about the mints that's accumulation of all the other things that have gone on so I think firstly, that's one of the things. And the, another thing that I think is that very often anxiety can be like a um, anxiety and anger are really closely related. Mm. So the feelings we have when we get anxious, you know, we get the flip in the tummy, we get the beating heart, we get, you know, all of those different symptoms. It's exactly the same as if you get angry. And I think very often, and especially for women, sorry, guys, but especially mm. for women, We're not allowed to get angry. Little girls don't get angry. Nice little girls don't get angry. So I think very often what happens is we get angry and we get the symptoms of anger, of the tummy flipping and all the rest of it. But because it's not okay to be angry, we tell ourselves that we're anxious. It's an anxiety thing. Mm. So it gets very, and it's different for men. So very often with men, they're okay to get angry, but they're not okay to get anxious. So they might get, mm. you know, it might come across an opposite yeah. way for men. So I think sometimes anxiety can be something that could be an unexpressed anger. And mm. it's really, a really interesting to sort of look at. But, but yeah, when I get anxious, yeah, like I say, I just hide. I tend to yeah. hide. I really go in on myself. And I suppose the thing is, it manifests itself in different ways for different people, doesn't it? And I suppose it's learning about it, having a bit of self-awareness of what's going on. And the way that I often say to people to do it is rather than judging yourself like, oh, I'm really wrong. I've just told him off about mints or I've just told him off about whatever. or I've just told him off about the teaspoon. Rather than go down that I shouldn't have done that or I feel guilty about it, aren't I a bad person? Sort of turn it on its head a little bit and say, isn't that interesting? I wonder why that happened. I wonder what happened there. What was that about? So that instead of just going, well, this is obviously because I'm a bad person, then you can turn it around and say, well, that's not like me to do that. So I wonder what it was that provoked me to 
have a bit of a rant and rave when, you know, I wasn't actually so angry about that thing. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was only, it's only when you start doing that, that you start pulling it apart. Because if you're anxious and you rip someone's head off and then you beat yourself up about it, Mm. you're just making it worse and worse and worse. And the thing I wanted to say actually, which I think this is a woman thing, again, sorry guys out there, but like, I think, do you know what used to happen with my ex-husband? And, and I hope people listen to this don't do my ex-husband. <laughs> like, I feel like sometimes I talk about him, he has no idea. But he got to the stage where any emotion that came from me went, that's your anxiety talking. And that would make me want to rip his freaking head off. Because yeah. it'd be like, do you know what? Sometimes, yeah, I don't react in a way I should. and I, And I go way over the top for something that really does not need that kind of reaction because my anxiety was bad at the time or whatever. But then he almost made me feel like any emotion Mm. meant, oh. Well, yeah, but that's manipulative. That is manipulation, is it? That's kind of gaslighting. It's a bit like, oh, is it your hormones again? Is it that time of the month? It's like so patronising. And of course you're going to go, and then, you know, and then it's, oh, she's doing that thing again. She's very emotional. It's. Oh, yeah, it's really manipulative, really it manipulative. Is. And and we had, and again, I have to be so gentle with Paul because I know <laughs> so much of this comes from love. But he, I have this thing, okay, so this is being very honest now. I take medication. So when B was born, my daughter, I was very, very poorly to the point where I don't think I've ever been so scared for my own mental well-being. I honestly thought I was losing my mind. Now, I was also very poorly without going into too much detail so I'm sure my podcast listeners don't want to hear about my horrific labor but I was very very poorly I had to have lots of blood transfusions I was in hospital a long time but mentally I was not in a good space like B was literally three days old and they knocked me out because I was so anxious and I remember saying to the the midwife you need to knock me out I need to sleep and I'm not I'd had something like seven hours sleep in five days or something it was awful and um and she said you know I said I suffer with anxiety and she said you know what medication do you take and and at the time I took none because I refused to take any and I said you know I've had counseling for years and I'm I promise you I've not just plucked this out of nowhere it says on my records I have anxiety so anyway they did they knocked me out and I was I was very poorly for some days to come and and it was just, it was a horrible experience. It was awful. So I remember going back to my counsellor, who I then ended up retiring. Um, and I said to her, I, you know, I, I need you to fix me again. And she she said to me, you need to take medication. And I said, no, I don't want to. I, at, by this point, this was probably like three years I'd had anxiety for by this point. And she was like, no, you do. Because we had time to fix you before. We had time to go slowly and to be gentle you have a baby who is weeks old. You don't have that time. And I'm telling you that I know you well enough and I've worked with you long enough that you medication is going to help you and you you need it. And I wouldn't say it if I didn't think so. And I very reluctantly took it. Like literally it was every bone in my body that was like, I don't want to flick and take this thing. And my doctor did the, the, you know, the sensible thing in terms of, you know, if you were diabetic, would you not take insulin? This is exactly the same thing. This is a imbalance in your brain and this is going to help. So anyway, I took it and have done to this day. Like I still take medication and even saying that out loud is like, 
so many triggers and I'm terrible at taking it. I'm much better now, but I used to be awful because I think in my head, I didn't want to take it. So then I'd go days and I wouldn't take it. And then Paul would say to me, and again, this was, he'd say it like almost behind a cushion, like, please don't hit me. <laughs> when I was getting anxious, he'd be like, you don't get your and then I'd be like no and then it's like okay I probably should take that first um so but then I I I was out in Nashville actually and I was chatting to Mary and and I said to Mary about it and she's like let's attach it to something you do so everything I do something I do every single morning without fail is I put my jewelry on because I take my jewelry off every night my wedding ring and my engagement ring and and my earrings and whatever and every day I put it all back on again and she's like right so now you attach taking that tablet to putting the jewelry on and I do and it worked a treat and I take it every day now and and it's there's a noticeable difference you know but for years I messed around taking it because I just the whole I don't want to because this is embarrassing and I shouldn't and you know it, it was just awful but yeah so sometimes he'll very gently go taking it but for the past few years I've been an angel and take it every day which which proves it works you know because I am I have not had anything really happen for a long time yeah yeah well that's good I mean that's good I mean obviously there's medication out there for anxiety depression all sorts of things and I think that if we need to get some extra help it's a really good thing to do Mm. but there are lots of things that we can do and we're probably all aware of them we probably all know that having some exercise and lots of different self-care things are going to be helpful as well. And they really, really are. Um, and those I are think, things we can do every day. And I, I know you've got, a, I know that you've got a really good morning routine. Yeah. And I, and I think this is like, obviously the medication helps and keeps me at a level. And do you know what, during the pandemic, I felt absolutely fine, which you would think that, it would be, you know, it's almost like the way I try and explain it to Paul in terms of anxiety is like, you're almost at a heightened level all the time. Like, this is how I see it. Like, and that kind of helps sometimes because I'm very driven. I'm very, you know, I have lots of energy and and I'm, you know, and I think that's a lot to do with the anxiety, but it's almost like you're at a heightened level and all you need is one thing to push you over the edge. So something like a flipping pandemic, being locked down, having the kids at home, like you would think I'd be losing it all the time and I don't. Because I have, I've introduced so many different things into my world in terms of stuff that I do. And the other thing I want to say that's so important, I know you all agree, is this is a practice. This is a, this isn't like, oh, well done, I did one meditation and I'm cool now, see you later next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll try it again maybe. But this is a every single day. Yeah. And, and if I meditate and if I journal and it takes me, 30 minutes in a morning but the rest of the day I feel pretty cool and calm and and happy to take on the world which I do you know I would say I am I am very um I was gonna say very close to perfect right now I'm pretty bloody amazing Jamie, let's be honest. I'm joking well we all know right? that we all know that practically perfect in every way exactly exactly but like you know I don't feel anxious very often I don't have symptoms I don't rip Paul's head off anymore which is lovely he very much appreciates that and I think this is because I do so much work on thinking about things, not judging myself, not, mm. not being hard on myself. And, and, and I think it took all those different practices, all the personal developments, which is another reason why I'm so 
keen on personal development is because of all this reason, because I know I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to wake up and think, I don't want to go to work today. Mm. And I've had that happen way too many times and I've had to drag my backside out of bed and I don't want to. So Mm. I want to feel happy and I want to feel calm and I want to be able to be uh, react to things in a in a normal inverted commas type whatever way. normal is yeah. I mean you're absolutely right I mean I, I I've said before to people who know me have heard this if you live to 100 and I really hope you do you'll be learning right up to you don't get to a point where you think right I've I've, I've worked out anxiety now I've got that sorted it just doesn't mm. work because there's so many new things to learn. There's so many new things that come up. And if we look at it rather rather than looking at, at it as I'm a little bit broken, I need to learn how to how to manage this or stop this. And if we if we mm. stop doing that and say, again, isn't that curious? I wonder why I'm doing that. I wonder what I could do to, to help myself with that or to manage that. Then we can rather than look at ourselves as failures because we do X, Y, and Z, then we're kind of going. I wonder how what I can use about this. What can I learn from that? We all know this. This isn't this mm. isn't new stuff, but we don't all do it. It's one no. of those things we sort of know about but don't necessarily do. And I think similar to you over the lockdown, what I've done, and I think it's been a coping strategy. It's I've thrown myself into work. Mm. And when you think about mindfulness, so mindfulness is doing activities that kind of kind of take you out of your normal headspace so it might be going for a walk and being aware of nature or it might be you know there's been a thing about coloring in or you know doing some sort of activity that just takes your brain just takes enough brain power to stop you thinking about what's happening and god knows we've needed it over this last Mm. year as we're recording this we're just entering like the the new lockdown new new year new lockdown lockdown three (laughs) yeah and I went into my membership I've got a a membership great private practice Um, I've got a membership and I went in and spoke to the members and I said right okay one of the things you could do and again if you've got young kids I really feel for you because it's very difficult but one of Mm. the things you could do um, is and I've I've kind of called it um, marketing mindfulness throw yourself into your business boundary it don't get overwhelmed by it don't get yourself like burnt out but use your business as a a kind of mindfulness throw yourself into it learn Mm. some courses do more marketing Mm. that way you're going to grow your business you're going to feel good about it and you get that break from the horrors that are going on out there and Mm. it it might not work for you we all have different ways but I think if we're going to have a coping strategy throwing yourself into your marketing and growing your business is far better than opening another bottle of wine or eating or buying loads of things off Amazon. You know, it's something that's quite positive. But so for me, that's a way that I've managed the anxiety that I've had because I've had some terrible anxiety this year. But that's been something that I've done. I've had to boundary. I've had to make sure that I don't burn myself out by working too much. I've got a tendency Mm. to do that. But once I sort of got it boundaried and decided this is what I'm going to do, I'm not going to work in the evenings, I'm not going to work, you know, whatever. I found that really helpful. And I don't know, Mm. it might be worth people trying that, you know, it's something that's kind of ticks a couple of boxes, really helps with anxiety, helps with your business. And like you said, I think finding that thing or finding a thing and and I know, you know, some people say to me, oh, you work too much. My family would say I work too much. 
And it's like, but you know what? If that if that keeps me happy and sane and, ha- and yeah. healthy, and then great, I am happy to do that. But do you think there's, sorry to interrupt you, but do you That's think fine. people that say you work too much have never been self-employed and really like yes. what they do? <laughs> because working too much don't. when you're employed is, next, for me, yeah, sucks. If I work hard on doing the thing I love, I feel better and I earn more money. Yeah. yeah. You know, what what can I say? So it's it's really different to when people say you work too hard, when you're slogging away at a job where you never get thanked, yeah. to, to working hard on learn. a business that you really enjoy. You know, it's mm. a massive difference, isn't it? And also, you know, one of the reasons, there's lots of things that have come together. I'm a true believer in the in the universe, having a plan, and, and there's lots of reasons why I really wanted to do this, although every inch of me was going, I don't think so, um, was I did a coaching call just the other day with some members and it was really emotional. Like a number of members got physically upset because they are so overwhelmed and so exhausted and so frustrated. And, and, and that worries me. It worries me that that's going on. And and what worries me is they look at big, smiley, stupid face me <laughs> and think, oh, this idiot has got no idea what we're going through. Or because I present a persona and a look, and it, and I, I don't want anybody to think that that isn't me because it's 100% me, but I am not going to show you the days where I am sobbing for no good reason. And they are, there are days like that. You know, they're not, they're few and far between now, thank goodness, but there are days like that. I'm not going to show you the days where I'm ripping my husband's head off because I'm particularly, you know, particularly anxious about something or I'm having to journal something out because I'm like ready to kill someone, you know? So I think I wanted to be honest about it. I didn't want to be like, hey guys, I struggle with it too. Like in that way, I wanted to try and be as honest and as raw as I could about it to go, I do. I managed to find a way to cope with it and I managed to find a way to to appear. If you can't, that is absolutely fine. Because if you'd got me 10 years ago, I was a freaking hot mess, man. Like Mm. I remember, oh God, I've like more times than I care to think back that I did not deal with things well and I broke down and I just couldn't, I couldn't even function. When I had that time off, I can't tell you what I did. Like, I literally don't remember it. I literally don't remember sitting there watching telly for like Mm. six months straight. Um, So it's not that I'm trying to sit here and go, you know, you can do it too, everyone. You can feel fine. If you're not, I think I'm doing it from a, one, it is important we talk about it. And I think I need to get over myself to say, and be honest two just because people show up in a certain way with big stupid grins on their faces like me doesn't mean that we've got it all sussed and we are all great and I think the other thing that came from it is or the other reason I wanted to do it is I've, I've talked about this before and, and I'll mention it again is my dad was really unwell my dad was he tried to commit suicide very uh, like three times and not these weren't like vain attempts. These were like, the guy was very close to doing it. And it made me realize how fragile our brains are, how how at any point, because with him, there was no reason to why he suddenly got ill. 
that something can happen and how he escalated and the fact that he had to spend time in a in a mental hospital the fact that he had to have electric shock treatment for for those of you who don't know it's they put like electrodes on your brain and basically I'm not an expert by the way but as far as I'm aware it kind of kicks in the serotonin thing quicker um but it was it's a very it was banned for some time wasn't it and because it wasn't a very humane treatment and then they brought it back and did it nicer and you know but he was very very unwell and and I was probably I was doing my degree I was at uni so 16 years ago and it scared the pants off me like it literally made me go oh my goodness like I don't know how this happened and we don't know how to fix him and we don't know how to make him better and I'm hearing that and what I know um I have a similar thing my mum suffered terrible depression. She had a suicide attempt. Or I, I was the one who found her. I don't want to go too much into it, but, mm. you know, I had experience of somebody in my um, close family who struggled with mental health issues. Mm. And for me, I didn't go to the doctor for so long. I tried going to the doctor, and when I got there, I, I couldn't say how I was feeling. Mm. I would say, oh, I'm just feeling a bit low. I think I need a tonic, and they never quite picked up on it. This was in my early 20s. I didn't want to be like my mum. I no. thought if I'm depressed, it does that make, I'd seen the way my mum had been, what how mm-hmm. it reacted, how it affected everything. And I thought, oh my God, I don't want to be my, like my mum. And, you know, maybe if we've had somebody in our past that's had mental health issues, I wonder if there's something about that that makes us go, no, no, that's not me. No, mm-hmm. no. And maybe we just go in this big denial that's not me and then we struggle on and struggle on and struggle on yeah but if you have something that your parent have it doesn't mean you're going to act the same way it doesn't mean your experience of it's going to be the same way and it doesn't mean to say that you're going to have the same experiences so um no yeah it's interesting isn't it that we've both had you know similar sort of experiences and I was the same as you in the sense of when I went to to uh, the council the first time I remember saying to her, or it kind of came out in the conversation of, there was a, and it wasn't even my dad, actually. My dad being, um, having what he went through, it wasn't even him I was rebelling against. It was actually a kind of theme in my family, and not even just my immediate family of depression, and I'm just not going to go to work for six months, and I'm not going to do this. And it was like, you, and at the time, and I'm definitely not saying that now, in my head, I'm like, you lazy just get off your backside and get to work. Like, that is enough, you the know? The same. I used to, in my head, never out loud, yeah. in my head, yeah. I used to look at my mum and think, for God's sake, you're just not even trying. No, exactly. You're just doing this for attention. And yes. so when I started yes. feeling depressed, it was like, are people, is everybody going to think that I'm just in this, doing this for attention? Is everybody going to think this and that and the other? And it's it's true. And if you've not suffered from depression or anxiety, you don't understand it and you just I mean you know ultimately people if they haven't suffered from it it's really hard to understand why you can't just do that thing why why you can't do it so people do get a bit judgmental about it just because they don't understand if they get depression then they they will understand Mm. how it's difficult to do literally anything but people who haven't had it you know, to be fair on them, it's really hard to understand how difficult it is to do a simple day-to-day thing mm-hmm. like get up, have a shower, get dressed, go outside. You know, it feels when you're in the depth of a deep depression, 
it feels mm. almost impossible. And that's hard for people to understand. So if we've ever felt like that, if we've seen somebody else with depression mm. or anxiety, then in the back of our mind, it'll be as everybody could think that I'm that. And that yeah. can, again, mean that we keep it to ourselves. We don't tell people how we're feeling. We don't get help. So it's all sort of, it's really complex, mm. isn't it? It's You're really right. complex and it goes back. It can go back to things that we've seen in childhood and, you know, it's all very interlinked. But ultimately, if we've ever thought something about somebody who's been struggling with anxiety, like yeah. just pull yourself together for God's sake. Yeah. If we've ever had that in our mind and then we have it ourselves, then we kind of assume everybody else is going to be thinking that and that is going yeah. to stop us doing what we need to do. So I suppose it's all about saying, right, okay, it doesn't matter if people think that there's always going to be people that have a critical view of things what's important is that you look after yourself and you get the help that you need so yeah. that you can carry on with your life so that, you know the thing about anxiety is it is something that you can there's lots that you can do about it it's it's not something you have to constantly struggle with for the rest of well I say not struggle with it you might have aspects of anxiety through mm. your life but there's so much that you can do about it. It doesn't have to be crippling. There are things you can do to help. I mean, go for counselling. Counselling mm. is looking at the reasons why you're anxious in the first place. So rather than, it's like the not about the spoon thing. Yeah. We're not saying, here's a few techniques to help your husband put the spoon Next somewhere. Next time he leaves the spoon. <laughs> yeah, it's saying, right, okay, I wonder why it's creating that for you. So in the, in the it's not about the spoon thing, it's all about, right, why doesn't my husband, despite the fact I've told my husband to do this loads of times and he knows that it's, why is he not doing a small thing that's going to be helpful mm. to me? Why is he doing something deliberately to wind me up? Why mm. doesn't he listen to me? So it's those deeper things, isn't it? Those I are the things that counselling's good for, is getting to grips with those deeper things. Because once you've worked that out, you can say, right, okay, I understand that now. And then you can move forward in, in a bit of a different way. Mm. And I think as well, I, I totally agree with the, you know, I used to look at family members and think, oh, just get off your backside. What is wrong with you? And I think one thing I understand now is, is we all deal with it in different ways. We all manage in different ways. Just because I can get up and come to work and put a smile on my face doesn't mean I don't feel unwell sometimes. Doesn't mean I don't manage sometimes in the same breath as someone else who can't get up and go to work and whatever doesn't mean that they're not just pulling themselves together yeah. you know that we all experience things in different ways just yeah. because I don't want to talk about it and I like to keep it private and you know what after this episode you are unlikely to hear me talk about it again <laughs> um, you know, because I don't feel the need I don't like yeah. to talk about it to myself you know as in I don't I I just crack on and do what I do and yeah and I think you know what you said as well in terms of it, it, I've now come to terms with the fact that it's something I have but it's something I manage and and as long as I give it some respect that in the fact of instead of just going yeah you're gone now see you later bye and I'm just going to crack on and just forget all those things as long as I always give myself a kind of oh okay let me just let me just check in there and make sure that's okay then I know I can keep it under wraps and and manageable and fine and perfectly go about my day feeling great and happy but I've got enough respect for it now after all these years it has taken all these years to know that 
if it starts to creep back in, I need to jump on those sort mm. of things very quickly. And and sorry, Jane, go on. Well, I was just going to say, it's it literally is about awareness, self-awareness, because it shows mm. up in different ways. So for you, I do a lot of work as well, but but I know myself enough to know if I go and try to do some work at the moment, my brain just won't work. So I, yeah. for me, it's about giving myself permission to have some time off when I'm feeling like that. So it, for, for you, it's like, right, I can get in there, you know, head down, boom up, working hard. Yeah. For me, it's like, right, I need a break. So it's about learning about yourself. And that self-awareness is key because what works for one person might not work for you. So you might th- see somebody else that says, oh, you know, I go for a walk every day and it helps. And it might not help you. It probably will because it, it's something that generally helps everybody. But doesn't mean I want to do it, Jane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's um, it's all about self-awareness. I mean, I had a thing, you know, that I struggle with with um, imposter syndrome because I've talked to yeah. you about it before. Yeah. I had a, um, a thing, a couple of, I mean, it, sometimes, I'm fine most of the time and I'll have little things that come up and slap me around the face. And then something big will come up and punch me around the face. Yeah, yeah. And I had something, um, I can't remember what, something had happened and it had triggered off this anxiety, this, this imposter syndrome. And I was just like, why am I doing this? I'm useless. I'm rubbish. And, and I thought, mm. right, okay, I know what's happening. And I really focused on what was happening instead of just crying and, and like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I had the whole weekend, this happened, started on a Friday and I used the whole weekend to really work on this. So I, I did these things. I, um, I did a declutter and tidy of the whole house as much as I could, because obviously if you're in a nice environment, you're going to feel better. So I did a good yeah. declutter and tidy. I did that whilst I was listening to really good music and listening to podcasts that were to do with um, self-care and things like that. And then I thought one of the things I tend to do is not talk to anybody when I'm feeling like that. And at mm. the time I was in Jen Lena, you know, Jen Lena, I was in mm, Jen Lena's yeah. membership and there's, there's a really nice bunch. And I thought, I'm just going to dip a toe in of just saying I've got a bit of bit of imposter syndrome. And I didn't say a lot about it because I'm a very private person as a rule. But I just said, oh, I'm really struggling with a bit of um, bit of imposter syndrome. And everybody in that group came up and was kind of the responses rather than, oh, yeah, oh, um, hope you're OK, honey. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't like that. They were all thought out responses. People really helped. Yeah. They were saying, uh, when I have it, I try this or I sometimes get it. And people were just giving me some really good um, support and advice. And that encouraged me to open up a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. That really, really helped. So what happens to me now is when I get imposter syndrome, which I do pretty regularly to different mm-hmm. levels, I now know that I've got a process that I go through. My process is to withdraw, to self-care, to try and talk to people, but also to ultimately recognize that this is a process. I will come out of it. I'll come out of it if I go through that little bit of space, give myself a bit of space. And I kind of talk myself off the ledge, as it were. And I think sometimes, you know, with anything like that, it's like, what is your process? What are the first things that you notice when you're starting to feel anxious? So for you, it might be right. I'm, I'm really, I've got, I haven't got a lot of tolerance. I'm getting angry quickly. So that might be you going, right, okay, I've just snapped at my husband and I've kicked the dog. Sure, you don't kick your dog. But... So that might be the first, that, yeah, but that might be the first thing where you go, well, that's interesting. 
I wonder if that's because I'm getting, there's something that's making me anxious mm. and then you can do whatever system or process that you do. And I know you do a lot yeah. of journaling. I know you do yeah. um, meditation. Um, obviously, you could, if you need to get a coach or some counselling or mm-hmm. find something that works for you and put that in your toolkit. But it's, yeah. the, it's the self-awareness and, the, and being aware without judging yourself. Again, like I say, that that curiosity of that's interesting. I wonder why I'm doing that is so Mm. much better than, God, I'm so stupid. I just did that thing again. I should know better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you were you're so right with the toolkit thing. And sometimes that changes and develops, and and the thing that you used to do actually doesn't quite work in the same way. And you find something new, which is great. But for me, where I'm at right now is um, obviously, like I said, I am pretty happy pretty calm probably 97% of the time obviously I went through a hell of a year and I guess managing to to get through that year is testament to all the work I've done because the old me I don't think would have necessarily managed to get through that the other thing that I've done is when mum passed away and Obviously, I have my lovely Mary, who, you know, is a dear friend and, and coach, and I will speak to Mary. And Mary said to me, I don't know how you haven't got a therapist. She goes, over here, like, because obviously she's from the States, we all have therapists all the time. Like, I don't know how you guys live without them. So I found a counsellor, and I remember the counsellor saying to me when we got our first session, she said, I just want to see what your thoughts are around what's going to happen. And I said, the old me would have gone, right, if we can get this fixed as soon as possible, that'd be great because I've got stuff to do. Um, I said, but, <laughs> but I swear to God, I was so like that. My, my original counsellor must have been like, you're a nightmare. Um, I said, but I, don't, I understand now that that's not how things work. I said, so the way I see this going is that we're going to have some weekly calls for you know, the foreseeable. And then we might get to a point where I only speak to you every other week or I speak to you once a month or, but I don't see this as, right, we're going to do this for six weeks and we're out of here, you know, and we're done. Mm. And actually, you know, we came back after Christmas and, and we didn't have a call over Christmas. Obviously we, she took some time off, which was fine. And we came back after Christmas and on the, on the first call, I hadn't really thought about the fact that I was going to have a call. I hadn't thought about, oh, is this something I need to speak to her about? I didn't even feel like I needed to talk to her but what was really interesting was when I got on the phone and I was because obviously we're doing it by phone because obviously we're locked down when I got on the phone and chatted to her it was just so nice to talk to someone that isn't in my space or in my home or my family or you know because everyone has their thought and opinion and and obviously as a counsellor that's that's not the job and role you do. You know, your job isn't to go, oh, well, yeah, you know, you shouldn't really feel like that, should you? Because, you know, it's like this or whatever. And it was just really nice. So, mm. you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's lots of different things that that I use now. Yeah. And and actually counselling to me is just, I feel very honoured that I have, I'm in a position where I can pay for it um, and get some help in when I need it. But actually... I just think it's such a nice, if you can afford to pay for it, yeah. whether you feel desperate or not, I just think it's a great facility oh, to have. So, do you know, it, the thing is, one of the things that I get incredibly frustrated about is that there's this, there's still an aspect of, oh, I'm not bad enough to go to counselling yet. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or I haven't got a mental health issue or... Mm. 
The thing about counselling is, I mean, I did a big thing about this a couple of years ago. Counselling is like the best self-care ever. You know, you don't have to be going through a mental health crisis to go to self to counselling. And especially if you are in a position to be able to afford it, going to a private practice counsellor means you're not like stuck with just six sessions. You're, yes. you can, you're a lot more in control. You can have as, as long as you want or as short as you want. But it means that you can do the real work, the real right. What's this really about rather than sticking plaster? Mm. You know, it's not like, oh, here's a list of tools that you can use for anxiety. It's like it's like looking at like it's not about the spoon. So what is it? So you can do that yeah. deeper work. And the thing about counselling is it li- literally is the ultimate self-care. And here in the UK, you're looking at counselling between about 40 anything from £40 up. So most counsellors, probably £45, £50. When you compare that to something like a coach, I mean, as much as I love coaches, and obviously, you know, I do have a coach, which is you, um, (laughs) a coach is far more than that. You know, a counsellor is is such a cheaper option or such a less expensive option. I don't want to say cheaper. And the thing is, it it makes a massive difference because it's the real fundamental things Mm. that you've probably been dragging around with you from being a child. You know, those offhand comments that you might have had as a child, those those things that nobody comes through childhood unscathed. You could have the best parents in the world, but you're still going to have had things that happen that impact you and impact how you go on in the future. And when I was counselling, I always felt it always felt fantastic. When I used to get younger people like late teens, early 20s, and I used to feel really, I want to say inspired by it. That's not quite the word, but they would come along when they're just at the start of their life oh, and, and they I, were able to. What a gift to them. Yeah, and they were able to look at all the things that they've sort of learned through childhood. And then because we kind of we go through childhood and we're sort of taught stuff from our parents and from society and, things are fed to us and like for example if your parents are religious you're fed religion Mm. when you get to a certain age you can decide yourself what you believe and there's something about that sort of age where you start to make your own decisions and it's a way that you can set yourself up for the whole of the rest of your life you're not having to drag Mm. those things with you now most of us tend to wait a bit longer something will happen Mm. to us and then we'll think I better go and get some counseling but it really is one of the most brilliant ways of it's just the ultimate self-care because you're Mm. looking at all of your old baggage that you're dragging around with you and it's kind of like a declutter we all know how brilliant decluttering is Mm. it's like decluttering your thoughts and beliefs and all those thoughts and beliefs that you were told about from somebody else you can decide yourself is this something I want to take with me or do I want to declutter that and make my own mind up about about how I feel about things so yeah, yeah. counselling sometimes people I know that some people I don't know if you can hear ticky tacky in the background that's my dog just woken up no. <laughs> <laughs> so, toenails Working on the from floor. home <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it really is something that I know people sometimes because I did a survey about it a couple of years ago I did a survey and asked for people's opinions on what stopped them from counselling how they feel about yeah. it and I think there's almost this feeling that they're counseling is a punishment I've got to go to counseling because I've done something wrong I've not got life right somehow but it's absolutely the opposite yeah the counselors there literally for a whole hour their only Mm. focus is on you your needs 
and how we can it's help you. It's very indulgent. Yeah, as it, in, well, it, it kind of is. You know, in a lovely, lovely way, you know. And one thing that I found is you, we will end up talking about something that I never even thought we'd talk about. Yeah. And something just comes up that just makes you go, oh, okay, that's interesting. Or they make you think about it in a different way. So if you're sat there thinking like, we're literally going to rummage around and get all your dirt out and make you relive all the hell. Yeah, that all that horror. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like that at all. And, and, and it's as much, and actually it's a very enjoyable thing. I really yeah. enjoy. Yeah. And I look forward to talking to Beth, my counselor. I like chatting to her. And like, we always start from like, how are you Beth? How is you? You know, and, and like almost like just a conversation. It's, it's not heavy at all. And sometimes it gets heavy and it gets sad, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't start like that. It, you See, know, my experience right. of it is completely, sorry to talking over you again, no, no. eager beaver. My experience of counselling is different. Obviously, I'm a counsellor, but I hate going to counselling. I don't like it. And it's only after I've been to counselling and I get the the positive impact of it that I'm, I feel all right. But actually going to counselling, because I know that I'm probably going to talk about some things that are awkward. That you don't, yeah. That you get the benefit from the end of it. So yeah, so it's, it's, it, it's different, isn't it? You know, but the ultimate, bet is, the, the ultimate thing is that you are ultimately going to feel better from it. But yeah, the whole yeah. story about it's not about the spoon that's from talking about something nothing to do with counseling nothing to do with an issue a specific issue but that brought up how it was difficult for somebody to talk to their partner about mm. something properly to properly say things like actually I don't feel like you listen to me when you leave the spoon out or actually yeah. it feels like you know are you doing this you know it's about communication so you know, these little things that we do, it it all feeds back into these beliefs and thoughts. We're getting very deep now, aren't we? But... We are, we are. <laughs> and, and do you know what? I just am kind of so conscious of our time because obviously, yes. you know, people have had to listen to us chat for ages, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, which is my, a, my dog will start barking in a minute. Because <laughs> he's like, that's enough now, mum. Can you, like, shut up? <laughs> I need food him, yeah. Yeah, Um but I think, like I said, I, the reason I wanted to do this now is so many different things had come up and I was like, this is this is a good time. And, you know, it is deep and I and I don't want it to feel heavy. I don't want the conversation to feel heavy and I don't want you to get off this podcast and be like, geez, that, that escalated. <laughs> but I do want you to... That escalated I, I want you to like... I want you to, to just take a second to... And I can, I'm like literally eyes closed. I can see you stood there, just breathe and just think, you know, am I, how am I doing? Like, because I guess, you know, one of the things, and again, I don't want it to be too heavy, but my mum passed away at 67 and probably the last 10 years of her life were miserable, like miserable. And she was depressed and fed up and not that she ever got diagnosed, not that she ever got treatment because she said she was fine. And I just think if she knew she was going to die, do you think she'll live like that? Like, and I don't want to, I, you know, and, and this was kind of the conversation we had in the coaching call the other day where someone said they were scared to, to go live and, and this member was turning 60 and she said she was having a bit of a, you know, everything was coming to her head and she felt like she was wading through treacle and she was a failure and she was this and that and the other. And I said, the way I look at things now and I and you know I sort of said to them when we laughed it off I'm you know I was drinking wine at the time and got it was very relaxed you know but I said I don't want to sit there and think 
oh, I should, you know, I should have done more of that or I should have done this or I should have just asked for some help or I should yeah. have just yeah. taken that time out or just listened to myself. Or I just think if this makes someone stop and go, do you know what, I haven't felt great and maybe I need to, yeah. you know, listen to something that makes me feel happy or, you know, or get some help or whatever, or even just makes you go, thank someone else feels the way I do mm. then then I hope it's helped and I know yeah. that Jane and I would love to hear and I get this is a very private subject and like I said we're recording this now now if this goes live I'll be well impressed with myself <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably gonna be sat and thinking about this over the next don't few overthink days. it just send I, it off to oh, Phil <laughs> I, said that. I said that I shouldn't I should probably not put that out like we're gonna <laughs> this episode it's just going to be you talking about your stuff and I'm like I'm fine I'm good yeah nothing wrong with me Jane like... yeah but I'll check it out as well so it'll just yeah. be like hi welcome to the episode bye hope uh, you enjoyed yeah, it yeah. <laughs> come again <laughs> for another informative episode yeah <laughs> I love it I love it but no I just like I said, there was lots of things leading to it. Like the chances of me talking about this again, unless it's on a special episode, are very slim. So you yeah. don't need to worry that now I've opened Pandora's box. Every week you're going to be me on the end going, <laughs> I'm an horrible week. <laughs> Imagine. Um, so well, anyway, well for Jane, me, I, I think. Sorry, I just just wanted to just say yeah, here at the do. end. I think the takeaway really for me, and I think the take anybody listening to this, I would really, really, really highly recommend that you just think. Be curious about what's happening. If you do something and you, you, before you start telling yourself off about it, just stop and go, right, that's interesting. I wonder why I did that. Rather mm. than telling yourself off, it'll make a massive difference. And be yeah. really gentle with yourself. Really. Especially that, That's it. Be really gentle with yourself. Give yourself permission to take time off. Give yourself permission to do nothing. You don't mm. need permission. If you do need permission, I'm going to give you permission right now. Well <laughs> you have to take time <laughs> off, do some do some things you enjoy, yeah. watch a funny film, all of those things. But yeah, just be really kind to yourself. Be mm. be kinder to yourself. Yeah, I love that. That is a perfect place to finish. <laughs> Jane, thank you for encouraging me to do this. Thank you for hey, don't guiding. Blame me. <laughs> Yeah, it's your fault. Uh, if, if I lose all my podcast listeners after this. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Let's talk about imposter syndrome again. <laughs> um, thank you for guiding us through this because it was so nice to have someone that I know so well, but also someone that has some experience of this world and not only from a personal point of view, but from a professional point of view. So Jane, thank you so very much. And I would be a terrible podcast host if I didn't give you a moment just to tell everybody how they can find you and how you can help them. Oh, bless you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on. It really has been a pleasure. It's always lovely talking to you. And what I like is the fact that we can talk about serious things, then we laugh. Yes. So again, remember, you have serious moments and then you'll have laughter. It does. Mm -hmm. It changes all the time. Yeah. So come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Grow Your Private Practice, all lowercase, no spaces. Find me on LinkedIn, just Jane Travis. Um, I run the Grow Your Private Practice Club, which is a membership site for um, counsellors and therapists in private practice, where I help them with everything private practice. But there's a big focus on dropping the overwhelm, 
dropping self-sabotage, building your confidence as well as the practical skills as well. So I help people really with all sorts of things to do with that. And I've got a podcast, The Grey Private Practice Show, and you'll find that on all your podcasting apps. So yeah, that's me. Come and find me. Say hi. I'd love that. Thank you, Jane. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you're still with us at the end, well done. Well done. (laughs) Yeah, go and put your feet up and get a cup of coffee. (laughs) You need a drink. (laughs) But seriously, self-care. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out and you want to talk to us, then we would love that. And, And if we are the people that you can open up to, then please do so. We have been very honest with our uh, episode today. So I I am, uh, you know, I'm encouraging you to, if it's not us, and if you want to DM us or you want to DM someone else, or you want to get some help, then please do so. But, but thank you so much for listening. And I will see you uh, on the next episode. And thank you, Jane, for joining me. Thank you so much for listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do go check out TeresaHeathWearing.com where you'll find more amazing content to help you grow your business.